0: Welcome back to the Exchanges Discourse podcast with myself, Dr. Gareth J. Johnson, and we are, if you haven't heard of it before, a companion podcast to the Interdisciplinary Exchanges Journal published by the University of Warwick's Institute Advanced Study. Each episode, we like to have a chat quite often with authors who have published with the journal about their lives, their research, and their publication experiences. Sometimes, though, we also focus on the journal itself and developments in scholarly communications. Today, though, I'm excited to say we are joined by a guest to talk about their work. Today, I am joined once again by uh, one of our past authors on the Anthropocene special issue. Sona, it's absolute pleasure to have you with us on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: My first question is always a chance for the guests to introduce themselves. So, if you'd like to tell us a little more about yourself and where you are and what you're up to at the moment.
1: So, um, I'm Sonakshi, uh, and uh, people do call me Sona, so feel free to call me that. And uh, right now, I work as a writing tutor at Ashoka University. But before that, I was an MPhil student. I completed my MPhil from mm. Interpre- University and I i mean, I just passed my uh, degree in 2023, January. so oh, congratulations.
0: It's pretty,
1: <laughs> it's, it's pretty recent that way. Apart from that, I am uh, focusing, uh, like I am a translator also. So I'm mm-hmm. working on a full length uh, book translation right now. And uh, as well as handling or, you know, it's like a part time thing that I like to say research. So mm. uh, and my research is also like uh, it's uh, based uh, on Anthropocene literature which is basically mm. also mm. A representation of man-made disasters. That was one of the like uh, the key texts that I also like uh, wrote about in the journal. Mm. Like, uh, mm. And apart from it I keep on trying to write uh, different mm. stuff, uh, so they, these pertain to food writings, and um, recently, I've given myself a lot into tarot. So, oh, I'm yeah. To, yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's a pretty uh, nascent interest. So I'm trying yeah. to see how I can uh, like you know merge my interest for tarot and literature. So yeah, something interesting.
0: Oh, You're certainly keeping yourself very busy then, by the sounds of it.
1: <laughs> oh, I do try to. I do try to. <laughs> I think mean, it's it's also because of the pandemic. Uh, because I was mm. so scared of uh, losing touch with academia also because we didn't have classes I mean in India for most of us what happened was we shifted to online I mean all of us but it was really problematic for Indian universities to make this huge shift so there were three to four months of uh, you know no contact with university or university space for that matter so there was no shared space of learning and I was just so scared and I was like oh my god I I cannot imagine myself (laughs) you know, without books or, you know, without reading. And I just need to keep myself occupied. So I think, so this is uh, something that I picked up during the pandemic. And I hope to, yeah, not get burnt out in the process as well. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: maintain a fine balance.
0: It's interesting. Cause I, the thing for me during that pandemic period, and particularly that first year, it was the not seeing people on a regular basis. It's one of the reasons I started the podcast to give me an excuse to have, academic type conversations with people like i would used to have in the corridor on campus but now i literally wasn't having i was having meetings with people but they were always very specific meetings there wasn't a chance to have these kind of conversations so that was the rod i made for my own back at the time and i'm still doing now sort of you know three four years later (laughs) but it it has been really interesting to to talk to our authors it's kind of given myself as the editor a, a window into the authorial experience, but also into you know a wider understanding of the papers, and certainly our listeners have appreciated it too. So good. Well, I hope your pursuits are just as fruitful as um, the podcast has been for us. So I guess my my next question is we've we've touched a little bit on already. Um, obviously the the paper you wrote for us on the excellent piece. If you haven't read it, folks, it's called. Rescripting the gaze, Agency and the Aesthetics of Disability in Animals People. Now, it's it's not a book I'm familiar with, but obviously the disaster, the Union Carbide, you know, that is something that I certainly remember from my childhood as an event. So, Sona, would you like to just tell us a little bit more about the paper uh, for those who perhaps haven't read it yet?
1: So, about the paper, I'll just give a very brief outline. I use Indra Sinha's uh, novel, Animals, People, which is basically a fictionalized account of the Bhopal gas tragedy. Mm. And it's like one of the biggest uh, man-made disasters and a tragedy that could have been averted because, of course, government loopholes, administrative loopholes. So, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting to also, uh, you know, just look at how certain loopholes in the system can also contribute to tragedies on such great scales, and uh, particularly in this novel, what uh, like uh, the no- I mean, I-, I was particularly fascinated by this novel because of the agency it gives to one of the victims. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, na- it's 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 uh, narrated from his point of view, and the uh, protagonist is called Animal. And he's uh, he called so because uh, you know post disaster his uh, spine has been um, it's, it's been twisted and he is uh, forced to walk on all his pores and uh, people just think that he is no less than an animal that way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he's also like marginalized and he makes his living by also eating uh, from dumps and everything. So mm-hmm. it's kind of, it's a very, um, also a very blatantly real picture of uh, mm-hmm. people uh, existing on the margins. But more than that, also how this particular protagonist he refuses to you know accept his fate as it was and tries to also use his agency and also you know putting forth his emotions and he's also human. I mean he is human but only because he's called animal people think that you know he's not mm. feeling. so you know we uh, get a glimpse into different range of emotions from jealousy to love and also you know his desire to just regain humanity mm. within uh, mm. with the corpus. So that's that's uh, pretty interesting. And I think so another thing that really fascinated me about this novel was also how human bodies, if they don't conform to a certain standard, are rendered waste. Mm. And uh, I mean, that's also how disability uh, scholars, or scholars of disability also mm. view disability. And uh, it comes from uh, Mary Douglas's scholarship, where she writes about dirt, as matter out of order, right? So uh, disability then is uh, something that is out of order. And um, mm. Mm. Um, I, I mean also in the broader uh, spectrum uh, just looking at the novel kind of also then tells me that yes, you know, all bodies are not created equal. Some bodies are more equal than others. Mm. and uh, who bears the brunt of such disasters are basically people living within the periphery or working there and by working i mean the the workers not even the officials so i mean this book is a great commentary on that so also i mean disposable humanity for that matter
0: it was interesting cuz re- reading the paper I'd, um, I'd i'd recently watched the uh, the mini series on chernobyl was out a year or so ago and I've also read the book that kind of dealt with there with the liquidators with the people sent into to the disaster area to clear um, the radioactive material and I certainly felt there was a sort of certain kinship in the experience there of them and then their descendants who would be impacted by the environmental hazards and the toxins and the like I mean yeah you know, I must say we I mean, must say listeners you know you know it, this, this you know it's it's a very serious topic but it's a very very readable article about this and I would certainly commend you uh, to it to you it's well worth reading I, I can't quite describe it as an enjoyable read but I, I mean I, I did enjoy reading it I mean it's, it's very difficult when you're dealing with topics like this to, to say that but I think it's a very worthwhile and very very worthwhile topic I'm, I'm, I'm so glad we had it in the issue actually thank you
1: thank
0: you <laughs> obviously that that's one article. Have you been working on anything else recently for publication, or are you in the pro- process? I think you mentioned mentioned you were kind of working towards something.
1: Yeah. So I also, I mean, I recently published another paper. Uh, it was uh, in University of Stirling's Graduate Journal. Mm. Um, that paper took a while. I mean, uh, <laughs> I have to, yeah, I had to postpone it. Uh, I think so. I overcommitted, and so I, I definitely wasn't in the right headspace to you know just complete the paper well on time so the editorial board was pretty empathetic that way they gave me a lot mm-hmm. of time basically a year <laughs> so mm-hmm. from, from one issue to another and uh, so that paper in that paper also I look at uh, eco-criticism but uh, eco-criticism and as in I critique capitalism and more than that I uh, critique the ethics of work Mm. so and uh, that paper is uh, an ode to leisure especially in the Indian context so I uh, deal with one book in particular there it's a closed reading of the text uh, it's Kiran Desai's harabalu in the Guava Orchard and yeah so that was one book uh, that I was really like particularly fond of and that book just talks about a lot of things but mm. one idea really stands out is how lazy the protagonist is and he performs <laughs> in accepting that you know he's lazy and then mm. he climbs up a tree he also develops uh, you know uh, there's this kinship between him and the monkeys who stay in the trees with him and uh, how he then begins to empathize so much with them that he uh, eventually metamorphosizes into a guava. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's a it's a, so it's it's a magical it, it, this book is like uh, it, it it reads in the magical realist mode, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. so it was fun then to uh, actually like uh, close read that book. And I, I mean, also it was a nice departure from the gloominess of animals, people, uh, mm-hmm. because that was also yeah. I mean, it dealt with a lot of serious questions and Kiran Desai's uh, uh, novel was uh, light-hearted that way and I was like oh yeah I'm all up for this laziness or leisure. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was one article I recently like um, uh, finished my work um, on and got I can, published. I,
0: I can so wholeheartedly get behind concepts of leisure rather than labor I, re- I really can. I'm old enough to still remember the kind of discourse I can, from my childhood where, you know, the IT revolution is going to, you know, we're all going to be working, you know, three day, four day weeks. It'll make life so much easier. We'll have so much more leisure time. And all it seems to have been, particularly I've demonstrated through the pandemic period, we're still working harder. We're still working more hours. It does not seem to have gone away. So
1: Yeah, that's I, very true.
0: And I mean, I, I personally as someone, I mean, I, I work part time on the journal and the time I'm not working, I'm still thinking about work things. I'm still, but I'm, I'm thinking in a more abstract way. And I find it's a very freeing environment that when I was working full time on anything, it, it does diminish my wider perceptions. I do find I'm just, you just end up being focused on the task, but not on the wider picture. So I'm fascinated to hear you th- this. I'm, I'm going to have to go away and find this paper and indeed the book itself, I think. because that sounds really riveting idea and and certainly the kind of counter-capitalistic elements of it there speak to my soul as a researcher as well so.
1: yeah you should i i'd uh, definitely recommend that book i mean that's one book that i've been recommending to all my uh, friends also because it's also so light-hearted uh, right so you, mm. you know you just dive into it and you don't want to get out you actually want to drown
0: Oh, so,
1: wonderful! Yeah, it's it's that kind of a uh, novel, yeah, and it's also uh, I think so. That's the first work uh, that this eye published, and mm. she's only published two novels. It was the latter that got her the Man Booker, I think, the Booker mm. Prize. Yeah, but um, yeah, so this one is the lesser known, but I feel uh, the better written uh, novel.
0: <laughs> it's interesting. I was talking to some of our um, our local researchers a few weeks ago and they were lamenting that they never had the opportunity to read novels, that they always felt, oh, as academics, we read textbooks all the time and not novel. And I I looked and went, I read novels more than textbooks, actually, but that's probably the way I am in my outlook. outlook. <laughs> and, and I think it's really good for someone like yourself who's got it within your praxis that, you know, the novels are part of the research um, enterprise. They are part of that research experience, and they do inform us of, so many elements of the human condition of the kind of perceptions of life and reality etc that yes i don't think i could ever be one of those people who just reads academic texts it would not work for myself
1: <laughs> no i'm really grateful that i chose this field i mean yeah it's uh like i i, I don't think so i have like word <laughs> ever felt bad about uh you know going into hardcore academia this way because uh this allows me to read and also to, uh, you know, develop my own critical thinking by way of critiquing Mm. the text also. So Mm. I I am really, like, uh, grateful.
0: I think that there's something to be said as well, and and this this was part of the debate we were having recently, is, you know, by reading novels, by reading very much different novels, we can pick up as authors the tricks of making things understandable or illustrative in ways that we perhaps don't see within our academic text, which is why I think it's very important to have very omnivorous reading habits I think as an academic writer
1: (laughs) that's very true and also I feel you know uh, with access to novels and also like just by way of reading novels your ability or your craft as a writer be it academic or be it you know creative although I really uh, feel that you can be both and mm. I don't. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of. I don't know. I don't like it when people say, "Oh, your academic writing is very creative." And you know, this is one of the horror stories. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you can share. You can share the horror story now. That's fine. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I, I really feel that if you uh, have access to good reading materials by way of mm. novels or even short stories for that matter, your craft as a writer really improves. It really uh, does a lot even 30 minutes of reading per day and you're good to go you really are because I feel this this has to some extent also influenced my craft as a translator like reading novels especially translated novels I get the idea that oh yes the more I read the better the writer I become Mm. so I'm all up for pro like I'm all
0: pro reading. I think it's really interesting we do read novels particularly those that were written in a, a different language initially there's always the um I know I've read somewhere you know the idea you know, that our thinking is shaped by the our language and so our native language is you know drives how we think and so when I, I was there's a there's a book called Roadside Picnic it's a sci-fi book it's a, it was in Russian originally and I've been reading the most recent translation of it it's quite a hard read it's and I, I, I realised that is partly because i uh, imagine the Russian, it will probably be a lot easier to read. But in English, I don't read Russian, so obviously I've got to read the translation. But the kind of concepts, the way they're presented is very different. And I found myself, after I finished reading, my I could feel my mental processes being adjusted slightly, my way of thinking. And certainly when I was writing, I found out my style of writing is very subtly changed as a result of reading it. Yeah, you're
1: right. Uh, you're absolutely right. This, this mm-hmm. happens a lot. So I remember... Um, I was reading this one particular novel and uh, this was a French translation. I mean, Mm. in the sense that it was translated from French. Mm. So uh, the English translation of the French novel. And for the longest, I just felt that I was writing really long sentences. And Mm. then I uh, was working on another thing. And at that time I was reading a Hindi novel in translation. Mm. And Then my writing, you know, it was uh, closer to the roots. By closer to the roots, I mean, uh, you know, just the general way of people uh, saying that, oh, Indian writing in English, that was how my writing had shaped up. And I, I mean, uh, every time I do this, like if I'm writing as well as reading and reading particularly a novel that has been translated into English mm-hmm. from another language, I like to compare my writing styles then. I want mm-hmm. to see, oh, how much has my reading, uh, you know, during this particular period has influenced my writing and mm-hmm. it really baffles me because there is definitely some
0: influence. I was going to say, it does not surprise me in the slightest that you have the, those influences start coming through. In fact, you can recognise him. I think he's very powerful. I know I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jim Butcher's writing with the Dresden Files. And he has a what I would call, it's almost like condensed short story chapters, that while it's a novel, each chapter is such a discrete story in its own right, that you can pick up, read a chapter, you can satisfy him, and put it down Um, although I tend to have difficulty putting him down I'll go three or four chapters at a time and I like that because it's a really good condensed way of getting information across of having a strong narrative and I swear the chapter lengths aren't far off an academic journal article length and uh, whenever I'm trying to advise people on writing academic articles, hey, you know, this is not a bad style. You know, you introduce the concepts, you move through the explanation, you have the the meat of the chapter of what actually happens in it. You have a denouement, the conclusion, and you move on. But it, in itself, it is a discrete entity and it's a beautiful way of writing. I think we could talk about this all afternoon, unfortunately, couldn't we? Have a. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we've kind of touched on this already because one, one of the things that I, I did say we were going to talk about as well was you know the, the good and the bad publishing experiences. Now, you've had a couple of good sounding publishing experiences there with these two with exchanges and these other journals. Have you had any other sort of memorable experiences publishing in the last few years yourself? I'd
1: say the positive one um, has been with exchanges, definitely. Oh, beautiful. Because, Thank yeah. you. No, no, because I remember writing to you and that was also mm. a tough time because I was a part of the workshop. And mm. uh, that was also around the time when the second wave of uh, Covid mm. had hit India. And it was really gloomy with a lot of personal losses as well. And I wasn't able to like yeah, focus on writing that much. So uh, yeah, I had reached out to you and I got a decent window uh, of extension, which really worked in my favor. And um, yeah, I got around to like uh, writing it.
0: For those potential authors listening, I'm, I'm always happy to give it offer extensions. It's quite true. I know <laughs> yeah. I'm, I want the best paper at the end of the day. That's my, that's always my aim rather than keeping to timetables.
1: <laughs> <laughs> true, but I, uh, it's, it's very, I would say out of maybe like uh, if I have ten, I have sent out ten extension mm. requests. I have only received positive uh, replies to four of them. Mm. So it's been like say a rough fifty-fifty. Mm. So I mm. always remember journals that are like yeah. It's
0: so so, so true. I mean, I always say to my editors, you know, you know, when we're dealing with authors, you know, our our reputation as a journal is how we deal with the people who contribute to it. You know, if we if we can deal fairly with them in a timely manner. Great. You know, if we can't, we need to explain to them why we can't do it in a certain time scale or why there's there's difficulties.
1: So, yeah, uh, that was pretty good. In fact, also the peer review process. Uh, was mm-hmm. something that I absolutely liked uh, because uh, again it was a decent uh, time window to you know work on edits mm-hmm. then uh, going through the like proofreading the uh, final uh, like the edited uh, paper so it was a pretty nice experience and I remembered it really well because that was also the time when I was proofreading. Was also the time when I had fallen sick, uh, and this was oh. a, a COVID. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, these memories definitely stand out as <laughs> uh, you know some good memories in like this huge long uh,
0: terrible yeah, period. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't the only one of our authors or indeed editors who was going through that at the time. So. <laughs> oh.
1: So, yeah, uh, this was one uh, really positive uh, publishing experience for me personally, other than that, uh, as I mentioned previously, uh, with the Spark team also, they allowed mm. me, uh, one whole year, and they just said that, okay, you can, you know, just work on this and then submit it a year later. So it was pretty nice there because I didn't feel guilty of, you know, the eventual, this thing that, oh, I procrastinated or I didn't meet the timeline and, oh, I missed out a publishing opportunity. So, uh, yeah, that way, that was really positive. And, yeah, apart from these two, I don't think so I have. Really fond publishing memories. I mean, it's it's. There's mostly been for creative pieces, and creative mm, pieces don't take mm. uh, so much of scrutiny, right? It's either a no or a yes. That's, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah.
1: So there there are no peer reviews or anything. So <laughs> that's a different story altogether. But with Academy journals, definitely least.
0: Well, that's so good to hear such many positive experiences there with publishing. It it. it like I like say it is one of the questions I I, I ask people, even when I'm just we're just chatting over a coffee about those bad experiences so many people seem to have had them and some of them so early on and that's what kind of annoys me as a journal editor as so i always like to say look you know there's ways to give people no the answer no but in a way that is constructive and they're always as i've experienced myself of, of just a very strange blank no 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 i had once where um, I, i'd sent a journal article in and i got a reply saying oh actually the journal's closed down um now so we can't do things like Okay, um that was not expected, and I've I've never published that article because I, I it was very much formatted for that particular journal. Start, and I thought, oh, just the time had passed that where it would be relevant, so I just sort of put it in the drawer. And I, it's very frustrating when you put all that work into something and it hasn't gone anywhere. I think I turned it to a blog article in the end, so I didn't, I didn't waste the information. So obviously, you're someone who's you know relatively early in your sort of um, scholarly career, and you know we are a journal for folks who, like yourself who are you know in their early in their career so what advice would you like to pass along to other people who might be thinking of writing for exchanges or indeed other academic journals
1: what advice I think one advice that I follow uh, myself is uh, you know have a really good abstract ready and by that I mean that there have been instances when I was like an MA student and I was sending out yeah. abstracts um, very early, I realized that my abstract used to be, uh, you know, it used to have a lot of information in the Mm. sense that it was, uh, how do I say it? I was very ambitious in my abstract. Mm. And when I Mm. sat down to writing my paper, I was at a loss because I was like, oh, I made that connection because, you know, I read the novel, like say once, Mm. and I thought that maybe I can build on this idea. But when I go down or when I get down to writing it, there wasn't much material mm-hmm. and uh, you know, that was a dead end. So one advice, like something that I've learned through my like previous experiences has been to, uh, you know, have an abstract ready. That is, that is something that you can write about and mm-hmm. not be too ambitious. Do not sound too ambitious in the abstract, just to get selected. Maybe you can ask editors or, uh, you know, and there have been a few instances when the editors Mm. have gotten back with feedback on how I can improve the abstract as well. And then, you know, resubmit it for consideration. And uh, there have been times when they have also accepted it. Uh, after Mm -hmm. like uh, their feedback so I feel that this is a pretty uh, constructive uh, exercise if uh, you know because again as you mentioned I'm really very uh, I'm I'm just a beginner here so uh, maybe it can help uh, people who are in uh, like their MA or like MPhil early
0: on uh, Mm -hmm what was really interesting there is you know you were talking about very much the abstract from the the author's perspective of say not overpromising within within it and i was thinking i know when i when i sit down to write something and i write that abstract as a guide to myself and it's, i think it's just so good that, you know don't overpromise what you're going to deliver on but at the same time a good abstract is a great way of drawing in a reader is drawing in you know as you say you know drawing in that editor that, and getting them excited about it i know when i get abstracts that people send us and say well you know would this be good for exchanges a clean written abstract is you know i, I can just go this is a really easy email to write yes yes please submit the rest of this article i want to read it it's,
1: <laughs> yeah exactly so i really feel that uh, writing a good abstract and uh, you know not getting too ambitious with it is the first step towards mm. uh you know a very polished or maybe a very um how do i say it, less stressful
0: um, writing
1: process because uh, if you overcome it in the abstract and you don't come down to writing about it that's when you uh, I mean personally for me I procrastinate then because then <laughs> in my head I'm like oh no I can't do this anymore I don't know what I was thinking and I wrote that mm. and for now how do I tell the editors that I, I, I cannot deliver this piece I'm sorry <laughs> so, so I think I,
0: I, obviously I know as a peer reviewer I've had more than one paper when I've been reviewing for other journals and I've read the abstract and I've read the paper and I've gone, is this abstract actually for this paper? Because it it doesn't, maybe they wrote it for the first version of the paper, but they haven't rewritten it. It it doesn't, they don't speak to each other. And that's a real concern for me.
1: Yeah, so I think that's the like, um, uh, from my previous experience, the first thing is this, and of course, once uh, like now when I have my abstract ready, mentally, mm-hmm. in my head I'm like, okay, even if this gets selected or doesn't get selected, these are the broad pointers. So I basically get my paper structurally ready in terms of pointers. That okay, my intro will be mm-hmm. this, my body is going to be this, and my conclusion is going to be this. And to be honest, this is also one of the ways through which I tutor students as well. Like when they come to me with, and these are basically first year undergrads, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, again, the problem being that we do not have a lot of uh, colleges. In India offering writing centers like a facilities mm-hmm. in terms of writing centers or writing tutors. So you know our writing is really messy till the time we um, actually do our PhDs or maybe even when we graduate. So there's no way you know there is someone who's guiding us in terms of mm-hmm. structuring mm-hmm. our writing. So I really feel that for any paper it's just not content but also the structure that comes so when well, once I like have my abstract ready, I keep my structure ready as well. Not the content that bit because that's mm. like, okay, I'll read more papers and then I'll be ready with it. But at least I have the structure in point or like in place. And uh, that gives me confidence also and, you know, a necessary push to yeah finally mm. get started with the paper. It's not that, oh, I have to start from the scratch. What am I going to do? <laughs> and, you know, just procrastinate then to the point of then, you know, asking
0: for extension. <laughs> <laughs> I know when I'm writing, I kind of do something a bit similar. I, I do write a kind of skeleton outline, and then I just write. I'm a firm believer in just trying to capture the zeitgeist of what I'm thinking at this point, of the thoughts. I'll come back. My writing, my drafts are covered with, Find the reference that refers to this, find reference, find reference. You know, yeah. I know, I know I've read it, it's in my database, I need to go back to it, but just, just write what I actually am excited about sharing, get that content down, and then start the long rewriting process to actually, as you say, to t- change it from a messy draft into something that might be vaguely considerable to the publication. So
1: yeah, this is basically like, these are basically two advices then that mm. I would Apart from that, I really feel that, uh, you know, if there are journals, especially the editorial board mm-hmm. um, who is willing to give feedback uh, in the first round. And, and and this is not peer review, but maybe, you know, no, 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 yeah, uh, yeah. The, of, yeah, the way of acceptance and just saying that, oh, you can improvise the paper. So, yeah, basically there, uh, you know, with the inputs of the editorial board, maybe, you know, just the incorporation of the suggestions can improve mm. the quality of the paper and just not the quality of the paper also enhance the writing process i mean it's just that key, uh, i mean it's just that i have a limited you know perception of the text or maybe my point of view oversees you know a very there, there are a few blind spots if i mm. like point that out so maybe if someone uh, tells me that you know how are you then going to justify this argument or you know maybe this can be a loophole and you can you know incorporate Mm. this I I mean those suggestions really help they Mm. do so I was going to say
0: as well it's one of the reasons I like writing with a um, a writing partner when I'm doing anything uh, because you can pick up on those each other's blind spots Uh, I know when I've written things to my former PhD supervisor that He has a very um, didactic style and it's quite aggressive, his writing. And I'm much more discursive between the two of us. I think it's not about paper we write, but, you know, it takes the two of us to smooth each other's (laughs) bits out that don't work so well.
1: No, I totally agree. And in fact, this is also Mm. another thing uh, that I really would like to emphasise, because this is a really Mm. good point. Having friends as editors really helps. Mm. Um, it does I mean in my case there's just this one particular friend who I send out all my writing pieces to and uh, yeah I receive some great feedback although uh, like uh, he just did his undergrad in literature and then an mfa uh in uh, creative writing so i see the best of both worlds in him it. it's academic writing as well as like uh, creative writing and then i'm like yeah just give me your suggestions tell me and it's not that i always incorporate his uh you know suggestions it's just that okay he tells me that okay this is not working or i'm not able to understand that and i mean we are writing for general audience as well i mean uh, just mm-hmm. not uh, academic readers, but also anyone who is, you know, remotely interested in, uh, say, reading more or following up more on themes or whatever about the novels. And I mean, that's one way we are also making academia accessible to the general population as well. So, I mean, this really helps them with this, the, the, the kind of feedback I receive. I'm like, okay, this is a general reader. Let me see, you know, what is his point of view? What is his perception? And that JV then shapes my writing that way.
0: What a useful friend to have! If we could all have friends like that, that would be so handy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: so it's it's a lovely experience to then you know send it, and it's mm. it's like so. Uh, I think so he's in Netherlands now, and mm. it's it's uh, we communicate by emails only. So I'm just like a text away, and I'm like, hey, sending you something. Just give me feedback. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so I think so we just talk because of this. <laughs>
0: Well, Sona, I, I think we've, we've had a robust inspiration of, sort of good advice for authors, wonderful talking about your sort of literary work and your write, academic writing work. So all that remains for me to say today is thank you for coming on the podcast.:
1: Thank you for giving me this space.
0: And my thanks to Sona for talking about her research and of course, her writing process, too. For now, though, you have been listening to us on the Exchanges Discourse podcast with myself, Dr. Gareth J. Johnson. Obviously, if you want to find out more about the Exchanges Journal or the publications we've been discussing, there are links in the episode description below. You can, of course, find us online by searching for Exchanges Journal Warwick. Of course, if you've got a question for the journal or you want to get in touch directly, you can reach me via email at Warwick.ac.uk. Or, of course, on Twitter and Mastodon as exchanges IAS. Other than that, thank you for listening today. And if you want to, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe to catch every single episode.